Hey detective, welcome back to the Nancy Drew Rendezvous, the podcast where we take a chronological look at all the books in the Nancy Drew file series. I was listening back to the last episode and I realised that I didn't do the near-death experiences for Buried Secrets, and truth be told, there wasn't really many near-death experiences that Nancy had. The only one where she might have been serious, or actually no, there was two where she might have been seriously hurt. Um, it was when the piece of brick or scaffolding or something uh, got pushed onto her f- when she went to meet up with Brenda in the industrial area, and when she was in the dumb waiter and the mayor was on top and threatening to cut her down. That brings our grand total of near-death experiences in the first 10 books to a grand total of 26. Okay, so today we're going through case 11 in the Nancy Drew file series, and this one was called Heart of Danger. It was released in May 1987, and it involves Nancy going undercover at a Texas ranch to find out what happened to the ranch owner's daughter 15 years ago who supposedly died in a plane crash. (laughs) All right, so we'll start with the cover. So again, like always, Nancy's in the foreground. Uh, There's an action scene in the background and in the middle, there's an attractive young man. So in the background, we have uh, Nancy falling off a horse and some guy trying to grab her. So I think it's safe to assume that Nancy's going to get into a horse riding accident. Um, In the front, we have Nancy Drew and she's wearing double denim and she's wearing, I don't know what they're called, but you know what cowboys wear around their neck. It's a little, I don't know, collar brooch thing with strings coming down. It's very cowboyish. And then we have a guy wearing tight blue jeans and a beige shirt that's kind of unbuttoned at the top and he's holding a cowboy cap, hat rather. So this is very cowboy themed, very ranchy themed, I guess. Um, it's a it's a decent enough cover. Personally, I hadn't read this one ever in my entire life. So this was the first time I had read it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of horses, so like knowing that it was on a ranch and all country style and whatnot. It wasn't something that really um, interests me, I guess. So it was really good to read this for the first time and have no recollection of it whatsoever. And I just want to say it's probably my favorite book so far that we've gone through. It's really, really good. But I'll leave my full review of the book to until the end. So... As we know from the blurb, Nancy's being contacted by a ranch owner in Texas to investigate the disappearance of his daughter 15 years ago. So this man in Texas read a newspaper article about Nancy in some newspaper or something and figured that she would be the best person for the job. This is the third time that Nancy's been asked directly to solve a case in this series, um, and she hasn't just stumbled onto it. The first time was in book number one, Secrets Can Kill. The principal of Bedford High asked her to come to investigate some practical jokes and uh, vandalism, and then in Two Points to Murder, Coach also asked her to come and investigate practical jokes as well. 
I might mention though, this is the first time that a complete stranger in a total different state has asked Nancy to solve a mystery. In Two Points to Murder, Coach um, was familiar with Nancy because of Ned and the other one was like kind of a local school. Bedford High was the suburb over from River Heights and Nancy has a reputation in River Heights already as being a great detective. So this ranch owner needs Nancy to come and investigate the disappearance of his daughter 15 years ago. It was assumed that she died in a plane crash, but they never found her body. The ranch owner wants everything kept on the download, download, (laughs) down low. So he makes up a story that Nancy's there as a ghostwriter writing his autobiography. That way, if she's there, asking a bunch of questions, it's not going to be suspicious because she's just trying to find out information to write this guy's autobiography. I don't think he's super famous or anything, so I don't know why he wants to write an autobiography, but I guess it's a just a cover story and it's an interesting thing. The book starts with Ned and Nancy at the airport. Ned's obviously given her a lift there um, and wants to say goodbye to her before she heads off to Texas, which is on the other side of the country, um, Ned's saying, oh, I wish you didn't have to go and that I wish that the guy had never contacted you. And as usual, Nancy's like, Ned, you know this case is important to me. But Nancy also really didn't want to leave because these two had just gotten back together and said, no, I, we really love each other. We're going to give this a serious go because two books ago they had broken up um, and had different partners. And in the last book, Buried Secrets, they decided to, you know, try things out and they've come to the conclusion that yes, um, they can't live without each other. But no sooner are they back together, uh, Nancy's off on another case. And I don't know why Ned is not at school. He's maybe taken a couple of days off to say goodbye to Nancy before she goes. I have no idea. Like they never really explain why he's not at school. Before Nancy gets on the plane, Ned tells her that if she needs any um, help at all, uh, he will take a couple of days off school um, and give her a hand and that his uncle lives in Dallas. uh, So he could fly to Dallas and that, you know, will be in closer proximity to... uh, They say that this ranch is 140 miles west of San Antonio, and they also mention that the closest city is a city called Rio Hondo, uh, which is just on the border of Texas and Mexico. So Dallas is closer than Massachusetts, because remember, I'm assuming that Ned goes to the Emerson College in Massachusetts, even though there is debate that it's local and in the same state as Nancy, but quite a drive away. They say goodbye to each other and Nancy picks up her portable typewriter and boards the plane. What on earth is a portable typewriter? I can't imagine anything more awkward to carry around. I thought all typewriters were portable in all honesty, but like, you know, they're these huge, big things. Anyway, the reason why she has this portable typewriter is because she's going undercover as a ghostwriter for this man's autobiography, but really investigating the disappearance of his two-year-old daughter who was assumed to die in a plane crash 15 years ago, but may still be alive. 
On the plane, Nancy goes over the notes that she made with the ranch owner, whose name is Robert Rygert. I think I've pronounced that correctly. It's R-E-I-G-E-R-T. So what had happened 15 years ago, uh, Roger Rygert's wife and his daughter went on a plane trip to Mexico, but on the way, the plane crashed. His wife's name is Isabel and his daughter's name is Katerina. So they found his wife's body, but they never found the body of his daughter. And then all of a sudden, he's been getting ransom notes saying that his daughter is alive and he wants Nancy's help to try and figure out if it's the truth or if it's just a hoax and somebody's trying to blackmail him. The reason why he believes that these ransom notes are real are because there was a scrap of the fabric um, of the dress that Katerina was wearing the day that she took the flight. Nancy's attached to this case because her mother died as well when she was really young, so she doesn't want to even imagine what it would be like for Katerina to grow up without her father as well. Like, this part, like, a note really didn't make sense to me. It's kind of like, why add this in? It added no value to the story, but I guess they were trying to give Nancy some sort of personality or feelings towards the case. It just, yeah, made no sense to me personally. Nancy figures that the person that's sending the ransom notes must be somebody that works on the ranch because they would need easy access to Mr. Rygert's house. Another thing to note is that Nancy won't be called Nancy Drew while she's there. She will be called Nancy Driscoll. And like mentioned previously, she's going to be a ghostwriter. So that will give her the permission to poke around and ask personal questions. There are an abundance of characters that live on the ranch. The first one that we will talk about is Mark Blake. He's a younger guy. Uh, he is given the duty of picking up Nancy from the airport. He is Mr. Rygert's stepson. He's described as being tall, dark, and good-looking and had a charming smile, but Nancy found that smile kind of arrogant, and she, her initial impression of him was that she didn't really like him much. He was wearing fancy cowboy boots with jeans and a fancy cowboy shirt, so everyone's very ranchy looking, I guess. Well, they do work on a ranch in Texas, so it's only to be expected. Of course, Nancy doesn't waste any time and straight away gets to the point of asking Mark a million questions. Mark, of course, asks, why are you asking so many questions? And she goes, well, I'm writing Mr. Rygert's autobiography. I need to, you know, know a bit about his past. Nancy makes the observation that his mother would be the second Mrs. Rygert because the first one died in a plane crash many years ago. Mark said, yeah, I don't know too much about that. I know that him and Janelle got married last year. And Nancy's like, Janelle? And Mark said, oh, that's my mother. That's what I call her sometime. This um, particular point really stood out to me straight away because in other Nancy Drew books, it's not common to see kids call their parents by their first name. It's usually mum, dad, mama, papa, etc., etc. Um, I know it's quite common for like edgy teenagers to call their parents by their first name now. I find that very disrespectful. But yeah, this 
really stood out, especially for the time that it was written. I'm like, hmm, that's a bit weird that he calls his mother by her first name. Anyway, Mark tells Nancy that his mother and Mr. Rygert met in a club where Janelle was a hostess. Um, they had a whirlwind uh, marriage, and a romance rather, and were married in a couple of weeks and living at the ranch. And Nancy asks if Mark works at the ranch and um, Mark's like, no, I'm definitely not into like ranches. I'm more into investments. <laughs> and then Mark kind of picks up on the fact that Nancy's really young and it's like, yo, you seem to be a bit young for a ghost rider. And um, Nancy just makes up the excuse that she got an early start and her father kind of taught her the ropes and whatnot. So they continue driving to the ranch, which is 140 so miles away because he picked her up from San Antonio's airport. One thing I did notice a lot throughout this book is that the writer was very, very descriptive. Uh, she's spent a lot of, he, he or she rather, spent a lot of time describing the the scenery, which was kind of lacking in the other books. Like, sure, there was some descriptive language, but this was constant throughout the book, which really helped me imagine the area that Nancy was in. Uh, one of these examples includes what Nancy saw as they were driving to the ranch. As they drove towards the west, the hills became steeper and rockier and the vegetation more sparse and brown. Low-nailed mesquite trees were interspersed with clumps of dark green cedars and grey-green sage. Spiky clumps of prickly pear cactus drew among the grasses. Grazing in a strand of oak trees, Nancy counted five white deer, all brown with white markings on their tail. So we can see that it's kind of like a desert scenery out in the middle of nowhere Texas which kind of contradicts the gardens of the ranch for when they arrive it's described as being a low sprawling house with a red tile roof shaded by several huge old cottonwood trees the house had a wide Spanish style veranda across the front and heavy shutters stood open at all windows it was surrounded by a luxuriant green lawn and colorful garden so I guess they have a really good gardener because they managed to keep a green lush lawn in the middle of the desert. <laughs> the next character that we are introduced to is Mrs. Rygert, also known as Janelle, who is Mark's mother. So Mrs. Rygert, aka Janelle, um, is said to be wearing dude ranch clothes. So I wasn't quite sure what dude ranch meant, but it kind of like is very over the top Western style cowboy clothes from what I understand. So she was wearing tight white pants and a silk shirt with silver buttons. And she also noticed that the buttons had the ranch's logo on it, which is a very nice, exquisite looking R. Uh, Mrs. Riger is described as being platinum blonde and she had her hair put in a huge like beehive type style. So she's very, very, oh, what would be the word? The, I don't know, she's very second wife-ish, I guess, you know, the younger, hotter type wife that many men go to marry in their uh, midlife crisis. I mean, I guess that's very 
that's I'm making a huge generalization, but yeah, I don't mean any harm. It's just kind of like a a a trope in books and movies. And the third person who lives at the ranch that we're introduced to is a lady called Mrs. Aguello, and she is the housemaid. She is described as being an elderly Mexican woman. She has high cheekbones um, with dark, weathered, and wrinkled skin, and she has very black, dark, hawk-like eyes. Uh, I find like that's a very overused description in Nancy Drew books. Everyone has like dark hawk-like or beady or like closed eyes and they're generally perceived to be as like an evil person. But in this situation, I think she's just describing an elderly Mexican housewoman. Nancy puts her to be at around 70 years old and is curious if this lady, Mrs. Aguello, has worked with the Rygott family like forever and if she knew Isabel and Katerina. Mrs. Argello is told to escort Nancy to her bedroom. And when Nancy goes to pick up her bags, she is told, no, don't do that. And we're introduced to the fourth person who lives on the ranch, who is Joe Bob. Joe Bob is described as being a stooped man wearing a shapeless brown jacket of some undefinable leather, perhaps deerskin. And that's about all that we've told. And um, Mrs. Rygert says, Uh, This is Joe Bob, and he looks after the horses. So as a recap, we have Mark Blake, who is the son of the new Mrs. Raggett, who is named Janelle. We have Mrs. Aguello, who is the housemaid. And we have Joe Bob, the guy who looks after the horses. So in the matter of two minutes of arriving at this ranch, we've already met four people. Um, (laughs) There's not too many other people of interest, thankfully, so we won't get too mixed up with who is who in this book. As Nancy walks into the house, we am (laughs) introduced to the fifth and almost final person in this book. This man is described as being tall, good-looking, and young. He's holding a well-worn cowboy hat. His jeans are dusty and faded, and he wore a blue chambray work shirt. I'm going to assume this young, attractive man is the person who is portrayed on the front cover. This man's name is Gene, and he is the foreman of the ranch, and basically, you know, does everything and... Mr. Rygert, who we have yet to meet, but he's the person who asked Nancy to come to the ranch, trusts this guy more than anything. They're super, super close. Mrs. Rygert also seems to be a fan of Gene. Um, she boasts about him saying that he graduated from Texas A&M at the top of his class and that he knows all there is to know about cattle and that her husband relies heavily on him for his ideas about ranch management. Although Mark kind of intervenes and is like, oh, yeah, that's a problem with you, Janelle. You're so easily impressed. And that's weird. Like Nancy's like, oh, that's a bit of a weird kind of interaction. While the outside of the rancher's house is like your typical Southwestern style ranch home, inside it's kind of decorated like a mansion. There's luxurious touches right throughout the house. So it appears that Mr. Riger is, you know, made of quite a bit of money. So that's important to keep in mind. 
Nancy makes it to her room and she finds out that the housemaid, Mrs. Argello, has worked for Mr. Raggett for many, many years and did work for him when Isabel and Katerina lived there and were alive. Another housemaid walks into the room. She's described as being very pretty and close to Nancy's age with long dark hair and flashing black eyes. Everyone has black eyes. They say that she wears a full skirt and a white embroidered pleasant blouse and carried herself almost regally. She says in a Spanish accent, Senorita Driscoll, uh, Mr. Rygart would like to see you in his office. Mrs. Argello kind of gets very angry and said, Angela, I told you not to come in here. You should have stayed in the kitchen. So don't know what that's about. Anyway, Angela leaves and gives Nancy the note. And the note says that uh, Nancy needs to see Mr. Raggett in his office immediately because he's received another ransom note. So Nancy meets with Mr. Raggett. He's received another note with a bell that was part of a shoe that Isabel not Isabel, rather, Katerina was wearing the day that she took the plane and the plane crashed. Nancy and Mr. Raggett talk about the possibility of Katerina being alive and Mr. Raggett says that, look, if she's alive, he wants to be reconnected with her because it's his only daughter and his only heir. And that kind of like, you know, makes Nancy like your only heir. It's like, what about your wife and stepson? And it turns out that Mr. Raggett is not a fan of either Janelle or Mark and says that, you know, Mark deserves to be booted off the ranch and that marrying Janelle was the worst mistake he'd ever made. So that's quite interesting. Nancy wants to know about Isabel. Um, Nancy asks Mr. Raggett if she's Mexican and he's like, yes, an aristocrat. Traced her back herself back to some Spanish ancestor, proud as could be, and beautiful. Um, but it turns out that they got into a fight and she wanted to leave him and flew back to Mexico and that's when the plane crashed. There has been no word from Katerina ever since the plane crash and Mr. Raggett's like, it's like the mountains swallowed her up and he insists that she's the one that should get the ranch and he wants to do whatever he can to keep her safe from the two vultures aka Janelle and Mark. So he already knows that Janelle and Mark are kind of just with him to get his money. So he feels stupid for making that kind of stupid mistake and marrying Janelle. He asked Nancy if she had met Jean and she said yes briefly that morning. And again, he goes on talking about how Jean is the only one that he trusts um, and he doesn't even trust Mrs. Orgello because he caught her snooping and the only reason he hasn't fired her is because he'd been she had been working with them forever. So I wonder why Mrs. Argello has been snooping. Now we've met all the residents of the ranch and none of them know about the ransom notes and as far as everyone else is concerned, Nancy is only there to be a ghostwriter to write the autobiography. The only clues we have in relation to the mystery right now is that the people sending the ransom notes uh, have scraps of material and shoes from the day that Katerina had 
vanished after the plane crash. Now, how would they get these particular things? It is pretty good proof that they do have Katerina, but I don't know. It's all kind of weird. She's been gone for 15 years. Why would she just all of a sudden appear now? We know that Mr. Riger regrets his marriage to Janelle um, and that he doesn't like her son, Mark. We also know that Mrs. Argello has worked there many, many years, but she's not being too trusted lately because she was caught snooping. We have Joe Bob who looks after the horses. He hasn't really said much or anything. And then we've got Gene and he kind of runs the ranch. He's the foreman and he's trusted immensely by Mr. Riget. The next morning, Nancy heads down to breakfast and she's dressed very ranch style. She's wearing jeans, a red and white plaid shirt, a tooled leather belt and cowboy boots. So yeah, she's really getting into the ranch life. Everyone at the table is there except for Mr. Riget because he's got a sore stomach and supposedly this is something that happens quite often. He's having stomach pains quite frequently. He, however, refuses to see a doctor about these pains because he's a very old school stubborn man. He doesn't trust doctors as far as he can throw them. This frustrates Mark. Mark doesn't appear to be too much of a fan of Mr. Riget. Uh, Mark's made suggestions to Mr. Riget on how to improve the ranch, um, but Mr. Riget refuses to listen and that infuriates Mark. Jean gives Nancy a lovely tour around the ranch via horseback. And of course, Nancy uses this time to, you know, get to know more about everybody. She asks about Angela and Jean gets very defensive saying, you know, she's just a housemaid. She's got nothing to do with the memoirs. She's also given a wildlife lesson and Jean tells her about all the different uh, cattle that are around the ranch. Jean also tells Nancy that Mark last year proposed that they get out of the cattle business and they go into exotic game because it's worth a fortune. Much to Mark's dismay, Mr. Raggett's not interested in the exotic game thing because it will cost too much money to set up and that they really don't have that much money because the oil market's just as bad as the cattle market. Again, during this horseback ride around the ranch, the author goes into a lot of descriptive language. So another way um, that she described the scenery was, the terrain grew rougher as they continued their ride. An irregular shaped bluff rose to the west, mounded with broken rock and dense underbush. A V-shaped valley opened out ahead of them, filled with willows and mesquite. Mesquite, I think it is. Yeah, mesquite. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I wasn't even sure what it is, but it turns out it's like small prickly bushes, kind of like cactus. Nancy spots a huge, weird-looking deer. She says that it has big spots and big antlers. And Jean's like, what? No, you're crazy. Those type of things don't exist. It says that the sun's getting to her and they go back to the ranch. So that's quite interesting, Jean denying the existence of an animal, but I guess he knows the ranch better than anything. But why would Nancy see this peculiar big deer with spots and antlers? Supposedly the deer around this area don't have spots. Back at the ranch, Nancy decides to interview Mrs. Riget, also known as Janelle, um, and 
she questions Janelle about Mr. Raggett's stomach illness. Mrs. Raggett tells Nancy that it happens quite often and he always recovers, but each time he's a little bit weaker. But she just puts that down to Mr. Raggett's age. So, yeah, he quite often gets these stomach aches. I wonder what's causing them. Under the guise of writing the autobiography, Nancy asks Janelle how her and Mr. Raggett met, and it was when she was hosting in a club in Dallas, which we already learned earlier from Mark. Nancy asks for Mrs. Raggett's name before she got married, and we learn that it's Blake, which we also know because Mark Blake, Janelle Blake, their mother and son, makes sense. Nancy makes a note to research what Janelle Blake did before she worked at the club and before she married Mr. Raggett. She also asks about um, Mark and Janelle tells Nancy that Mark's really into ranching. And Nancy's like, well, that's weird because he told me that he hated ranching and was just into investments. So something doesn't add up there. Next, Nancy talks to Mark and says to Mark, I hear you've got some interesting ideas about how to run the ranch. And Mark's like, yeah, but the old mate's like not interested in any of it. And it's terrible because he's sitting on a gold mine, but not making the most of it. So I don't know why Mark's so interested in this ranch. Maybe he's very money hungry and wants a piece of this pie. Nancy mentions the exotic game and while talking about the exotic game, said, oh, by the way, I saw something interesting this morning, a big deer, big as an elk with white spots. Jean says there's no such animal. And Mark just laughs at her and was like, yeah, Nancy, you must have been seeing things. No such animal exists. Nancy's angry because she knows what she saw and she didn't just imagine it. So that night when she's talking to Ned, she tells Ned about this mysterious creature that she saw. And Ned says, oh, I'll ask my uncle in Dallas. He's a hunter, and if anyone would know, he would know what it was. There was another little bit of cute interaction between Ned and Nancy while they're on the phone call, and it goes like this. I wish you were here, Nancy said. She laughed a little. I sound like a postcard. Having a wonderful time. Wish you were here. <laughs> so, like, that's really cute, Nancy showing a bit of humor. And Ned said, oh, don't tempt me. Um, I might just get on the next plane. So... He's really missing her to the extent that he's willing to jump on a plane and come to Dallas, which is not even where Nancy is, but just in the same state. What a sweetheart. When she gets off the phone, Nancy notices a note underneath her bedroom door. It says, come to the stables and you'll get all the answers that you need. I mean, that's a really peculiar like letter. She's a ghost writer. Um, but anyway, Nancy doesn't consider this and just go straight to the barn where she is promptly knocked out. So there we go. First near-death experience in this book. Uh, when she wakes up, she's got another note in her hand saying, uh, hope this answers your question. Stop snooping around. She notices a figure slinking off and it appears to be Joe Bob because it's a stooped figure wearing the same jacket that Joe Bob was wearing. I don't know. This like just really doesn't sit well with me. Why are you going into a <laughs> why are you going to the stables in the middle of the night because someone wants to meet up with you to answer questions but no one knows you're on a case? Weird. 
The next morning, she speaks to Mrs. Argello again and, you know, wants to know what she knew about the family. Um, she asks if there's any photos of Isabel lying around. Turns out they're not, which is quite weird. Like, why would you not have any photos of your daughter and your wife? Like, that's just weird. And then Nancy asks Mrs. Argello about Isabel's family and if they visited. And Mrs. Argello said, visit. Why would they visit here when they had a beautiful Palacio in Mexico, which I'm going to assume is like a fancy house. I tried Googling it, but I don't know. Nancy's confused by that because like, oh, this house is beautiful as well. And Mrs. Argello explains to her that, yeah, it's really nice now, but back then it was nothing. He was very, very poor when he met Isabel. And because he was a poor man, Isabel's parents did not approve. Nancy continues to question Mrs. Argello and asked why did Isabel go back to Mexico? Was she taking Katerina for a visit to visit her grandparents and she's like no no uh they broke up and she wanted to go home isabel took katarina with her because isabel wanted to katarina to grow up just like she did as an aristocrat in a very wealthy rich family nancy asked the housekeeper if she thought that katarina was still alive and mrs argello didn't answer and kept silent and nancy figured that she was no longer willing to talk so the next morning, Nancy asks Joe Bob to saddle up a horse for her because she can't let this mystery animal that she saw go and wants to investigate some more, which seems really out of place. I mean, you're a ghost writer, you're supposed to be researching the family for the book, but now you're more interested in um, chasing game, I guess, and <laughs> I guess this is going to throw your cover off Nancy, but Nancy's very inquisitive and needs to get to the bottom of this mystery animal. Jean and Mark just tease her and saying, look, you're not losing your mind, just your eyesight. Nancy heads out back to the cannon where she saw the mysterious creature. The horse that she was given was quite temperamental and kept like, you know, bucking and whatnot. But thankfully, Nancy is a skilled horse rider. Yep, we know Nancy can do anything and can manage to control the horse. However, as she gets close to the canyon, she hears shooting and then she realizes that someone's shooting at her and the horse goes crazy and throws her off and she tries to hold on but she can't so she's kind of like grabbing the horse around its neck holding on with her dear might and then Jean comes out of nowhere and saves her and said oh what was happening like who gave you this horse this is really dangerous and she goes oh I told Joe Bob to saddle up a horse and this was the only one with a saddle and he's like mm, that's weird I don't believe he would do that I'll have to follow it up so this is twice that Joe Bob has been, you know, suspected of putting Nancy in danger. So why is Joe Bob continuing to hurt Nancy? He seems to be the number one suspect so far, but she hasn't really spoken to Joe Bob. And what does Joe Bob have against Nancy? Like, maybe he's the person sending the ransom notes and knows why Nancy's really there? Who knows? It all seems quite suspicious. Nancy also thinks that it might have been Jean that was shooting at her. But why would Jean shoot at her? Maybe the same situation. So she thinks that because Jean was, you know, saving her, he was right there at the same time shots were being fired. So we've got Jean, we have Joe Bob as two possible suspects for trying to hurt her. 
Nancy speaks to Mr. Raggett about this. She mentions that uh, it could have been Jean that was shooting at him and Mr. Raggett goes nuts. It's like, no way. Like, I trust this man. I was friends with his dad for 40 years. I've seen the guy grow up. He would never do anything like this. He wouldn't be behind the ransom notes. And Nancy questions, what about Joe Bob? And Mr. Raggett really doesn't have an answer. It's like, I don't really know the guy. Uh, Gene hired him and I trust Gene, so I trust Joe Bob. So, yeah, guess Mr. Raggett believes that Gene's not behind the ransom notes. Nancy goes to find Gene to get more information about Joe Bob. Um, and Gene says that he showed up a couple of years ago, broken out of work. I don't know where he came from, but I do know one thing. He's the best horseman in the, these parts and he really knows his animals. And he also mentions that he didn't saddle up that horse that threw Nancy off um, and that he gave her another one and left it in the corral. So, yeah, someone's switched the horses around uh, yeah, it wasn't Joe Bob, but Joe Bob, of course, could be lying. Jean then invites Nancy to a rodeo the next day, and Nancy can't say no, she has to go. Nancy gets on her nightly phone call with Ned and tells him everything that happened from being knocked out to the horse incident, and Ned's like, no, nah, I don't like the sound of things. I'm going to take a couple of days off work, uh, off school rather, and fly to Dallas and do some research on Janelle and Mark and see if anyone knows who they are or know their background. Incidents seem to happen just as Nancy goes to bed. So this time Mr. Reihart barges in and he's got another ransom note, this time with a videotape. So they head into his office and they watch the videotape. The videotape showed a full-color image of a young woman seated in a chair, her hands tied behind her back and her ankles lashed together. Her straight dark hair hung over her shoulders and her thickly lashed brown eyes were wide with fear. She was wearing a full blue cotton skirt and a ruffled peasant blouse. She seemed to be struggling against the rope. And a voice said, now do you believe we have your daughter? And just in case you're not sure that this is your daughter, look at this. And the image of a girl vanished and another appeared in a place. It was a photograph of a beautiful young woman, dark haired and dark eyed, wearing a lacy white dress. It was the wedding photo of Isabel and Mr. Reihart. Mr. Reihacher tells Nancy that it's the only photo that he kept of Isabel and Nancy finds this unusual because Mrs. Argello said that there were no photos. He informs her that he destroyed all the other ones but kept this one from the wedding day and that he kept it hidden in the bottom drawer of a chest and he then tells her that it's gone and Nancy's like, who do you think took it? And he's like, maybe Mrs. Olgallo or maybe my wife. She's always poking around in here. So there's two people that might have taken the photo, therefore made the ransom video. It could have been Mrs. Argello or it could have been his wife. I'm leaning strongly towards his wife. Like she's got, you know, maybe a taste for money because he's already said that she's a vulture. So this could be just a hoax to get Mr. Uh, Mr. Raggett to pay up instead of waiting for him to cark it and them getting all the money. I mean, it would make sense. It's like, oh, who knows when this guy's going to die? Like, let's just, you know, pretend that we've got his daughter and send a ransom because, you know, he loves his daughter. Of course, he'll pay up and we will just, you know, take off without the money. That's my theory. But still, like, 
Is his daughter alive? It's looking unlikely. The video continued on. Now you know we mean business. We will kill your daughter if you don't pay up. Get the money from the bank, half a million in unmarked bills, and then we'll tell you how to hand it over. When we have the money, you'll get the girl. It's like, how's this guy going to know that it's actually his daughter? Well, it turns out that she's got a small strawberry-shaped birthmark on her right ankle. So they'll need to prove that they have the right girl and that she's got the birthmark. And that way... Mr. Riger will know for sure that it's not a hoax. Mr. Riger's convinced that the girl in the video is his daughter and that he's going to get the money out of the bank tomorrow and pay up. And he tells Nancy that it will take every single penny that he's got. Nancy's quite surprised with this. It's like every penny I thought And he butts in and says, you thought I was wealthy? Have you looked at oil prices lately, Nancy, or the price of beef? This ransom is going to undo me. There won't be a nickel left. That ought to surprise my wife and her good-for-nothing son. So he's actually, like, you know, quite proud to pay up this money because that way his wife and stepson get nothing. Man, this guy really dislikes her. Why doesn't he just dump her? I I don't understand these type of relationships. Nancy said if it gets to that stage that they do hand over the money, that they're going to have to call the police. And Mr. Raggett's not having a bar of that. And he's like, nope, they're good for nothing. Billing McPhee is the sheriff of this county. And he's like hopeless. And Nancy goes, no, but I have to be professional and hand it over. And then he kind of like, you know, gets snooty at her and it goes, Um, If you don't think you can handle it, you can pack up and get off my ranch right now. Nancy was tempted to leave because he was so rude to her, but Nancy would never back away from a case or a challenge. So she stays, of course. Nancy continues to watch the video. Something seems familiar about Isabel, but she can't put her finger on it. At this stage of the book, I can't put my finger on it either. Like, there's no clues telling me what the situation could be. Nancy again heads out to the box cannon to see if she can find this mysterious creature but gets caught in a downpour and it turns out they have funny names such as gully washers or frog chokers. Um, So that's quite a a funny name for a storm. I guess that's native to Texas. Nancy knows that even though they have funny names that they are serious and that she must get home before she's caught in a flood. So we're midway through the book and we don't really have any clues of what the real situation is in relation to these ransom notes. We do have kind of some theories. It could be possible that it's a hoax set up by Janelle so she could get the money more quicker. Um, That was terrible English, Deacon. Um, We have Mark being angry at Mr. Raggett because he's not keen on any of the investments and and that he's very keen on setting up exotic game. And we have also got Nancy seeing this peculiar animal, but everyone else denying its existence, which I think it's pretty obvious that it is some exotic game and that in that box cannon, there may be an exotic game, like ranch type thing. I definitely believe that that's a thing um, and that they're just taking their sweet time to, you know, point it out. Um, yeah, I fully believe that Mark has an exotic game ranch already and that he's involved in some sneaky business. And I do believe that Janelle would have the most to win by, um, you know, setting up ransoms. But then Mrs. Agulo, like being really quiet and whatnot's kind of weird as well. And then we've got Angela who 
is being told to keep out of things. And like, if she's just a housemaid, why can't Nancy talk to her? So Nancy and Ned are on their nightly phone call. He's in Dallas and has been doing some research. It turns out that Janelle went to work at the Plaza Balcones Club on June 10 last year. She gave her name as Janelle Blake. Uh, she only worked there for six weeks before she met Mr. Rygert and married him and they didn't keep her job application on file. And it turns out no one else in town remembers her and Ned can't find any trace of a woman uh, using the name Janelle Blake. And then Ned also mentions that his uncle Al remembers something about a woman called Janelle because it's not exactly a common name, so they're going to keep doing some more digging. So, yeah, that's interesting. There's like, you know, oh, there's something about a woman named Janelle, but I just can't remember. But this is kind of giving a small, solid evidence towards Janelle being behind this. So um, that evening, Jean and Nancy head to the rodeo. It turns out that Joe Bob also is at the rodeo at being a rodeo clown like that. It's like a hobby that he does. Um, while they're at the rodeo, they head backstage and Nancy gets pushed into a bull enclosure and almost, you know, gets killed by this bull. So that's the third near-death experience we've got here. Um, one of the cowboys rescues her and says, yeah, I saw a rodeo clown push her in. So straight away, Nancy thinks that it's Joe Bob trying to kill her again. So that's three incidents where it's possible that Joe Bob could be involved. And she's also curious to why Jean didn't come and save her. Despite Joe Bob being involved in all these situations or, you know, suspected to be involved out of coincidences, I don't think that he's involved. Like, what motive would Joe Bob have to set up a, you know, a hoax, ransom, kidnapping type thing? I mean, yes, Gene did say that he arrived on the ranch broke, but I just, I'm just not feeling it. I don't think Joe Bob's involved in all. And as for why didn't Gene save her, who knows? But I don't think Gene's, like, involved in this either. Mr. Riger really trusts Gene, and I trust Gene as well. He's a nice guy. We all know that charming men may be, you know, not the most trustworthy people, but I really, I really trust Gene, so I hope I'm not falling for his charm and niceness. I, I really wouldn't be, that would be really embarrassing. On the drive home back to the ranch, Gene uh, sees a kangaroo and yeah, of course, like that's really weird to see in the desert of Texas. I mean, sure, there might be some kangaroos at the San Antonio Zoo, but like in the middle of the night, like why would a kangaroo just run into the middle of the road? So this is further solidifying the fact that I think that Mark has got an exotic game thing set up somewhere and the kangaroo managed to escape. Mark really might want to set up some fences for this because, you know, they keep escaping and if they're worth a lot of money, he's, you know, losing money by having these animals escape and risk getting hit by cars in the middle of the night. The next morning when Jean is telling Mark about the kangaroo, Nancy thinks that she sees fear in Mark's eyes. So again, solidifying the fact that 
this is all Mark's doing, but Mark just says to Jean that he's as crazy as Nancy is and there's no way there'll be any kangaroos around and Jean's insistent saying, nope, I saw it with my own eyes and Mark just continues to tease him saying that he's crazy. Nancy wants to talk to Mr. Rygart to give him an update, but it turns out that he's sick again. So why does he keep getting sick? This is another mystery we have to solve. Nancy tells him that he needs to see a doctor and he says, rubbish, I'm not seeing any doctors, and then makes a side note about having a garlic taste in his mouth. So putting two and two together, I'm going to say he's getting poisoned. I think that's quite obvious. Um, A garlic taste is quite unanimous with arsenic poisoning. So I know that because I listen to a lot of true crime and whatnot, and I would hope Nancy knows that as well and figures it out. But who would want to poison Mr. Rygert? I'm going to guess Janelle, because if he's dead, then, you know, she also gets the inheritance quicker. Money makes people do the absolute worst things, I swear. These people are despicable. Mr. Rygert also tells Nancy that he's too sick to go to the bank and she needs to go to the bank and pick up the half a million dollars in cash. I mean, (laughs) why are you going to trust some random teenage girl that you barely know to go into the bank and pick up half a million dollars in cash for you? I mean, it's ridiculous, but I guess it's fiction. We need these little crazy parts to keep it interesting. When she gets to the bank, she's told that it takes a while to get half a million dollars cash and that she won't have it until tomorrow. And Nancy's like, no, Mr. Reihardt said he needs it tonight. And he said, okay, I could get it to you tonight, but it won't be till late. And they organized to drop the car off at the gates to the ranch and then ride the money in by horseback. So again, this is very, very bizarre, but that's what happens. The guy is going to make a delivery of half a million dollars at midnight and deliver it by horseback. I guess that's what happens on ranches. When Nancy gets back to the ranch, she overhears Janelle and Mark having an argument and, you know, he just hears bits and pieces of it. It's like, oh, that's dangerous, high risk, smuggling, etc. So this to me is just proving that Mark's smuggling. I mean, it's so obvious right throughout the book. Mrs. Raggett says, have you lost your mind? How do you expect to hide what you're doing? And Mark's like, it's not stupid, it's a little bit dangerous, but look at the reward, we're going to make thousands and thousands of dollars. So mother and son are in on a scheme to try and make money together. So I guess these two are very, very shady. Nancy's busted ears dropping, Mark grabs her and like, you know, demands answers. It's like, oh, what are you actually doing here, etc., etc. And Nancy turns on the waterworks and that makes Mrs. Rygert feel sorry for her and they let her go. So good on Nancy for, you know, turning on the waterworks to get out of a situation. Nancy rarely does that, but she knows the best tools in the best situations. That evening, they have a party at the ranch and Nancy watches Mr. Ryger grab a plate of food. And then shortly after, he crouches over in pain and says, oh, I feel so sick and I can't get this garlic taste out of my mouth. And Nancy says, Mr. Ryger, do you think you're being poisoned? So congratulations to our girl for knowing the symptoms of being poisoned. I'm so glad she's smart and educated in this because otherwise this would have been really dangerous and it's quite possible the old man might have been 
killed before you know, Nancy could have solved the case. Nancy, you know, convinces Mr. Rygett to go see a doctor and then she wants to like, you know, ask him more questions. It's like, who's poisoning you and what motive would you would they have? She asks him uh, who stands to inherit the estate and he says, my wife, of course, unless you find my daughter, in which case she'll inherit uh, everything and then Mr. Raggett's like you don't think my wife is trying to kill me to get my in get the inheritance and Nancy goes I don't think anything I'm not making any accusations I just don't want to ignore any of the possibilities they don't get to finish the conversation because Mr's, Mrs. Raggett like walks in Nancy decides to stay and look after Mr. Raggett to make sure he doesn't get any worse while she's looking after him there's a knock on the door and Angela checks in to make sure that that Mr. Raggett's okay and Nancy finds it quite interesting that Angela cares so much about the older man. In a lot of Nancy Drew books it's a background character that's usually the the person responsible for the crime or the mystery and in this book Angela seems to be the background character. She's always there and she has small bits and pieces but you know, there's not much attention paid to her. So I think that Angela is going to be a pivotal person in this book. I actually have an inkling that Angela might be Mr. Raggett's daughter, but I just don't see how the pieces would fit together. It's like, why would she be working there? Why wouldn't she just tell Mr. Raggett that she is his daughter? I don't know. It's just a little, <laughs> things just don't make sense. I guess the same could be said for Joe Bob. Like, they don't really have any interactions with him, but he also seems to be involved when all these incidents occur. Nancy questions Angela and asks her why she's so concerned about Mr. Rygert's health, and Angela just, you know, closes up and doesn't say anything. Midnight comes around and Nancy meets with the banker to get the half a million dollars. They bring it inside and Nancy feels that someone's like watching through a window, but she doesn't see anyone. They put the half a million dollars in the bank, not in the bank, but in the safe, and then the banker leaves. So oh, it's quite dangerous. We've got half a million dollars just sitting in cash in the house. Nancy rides with the banker back to the gates of the ranch where he had left his car. And as she's riding back, a stock truck comes out of nowhere with its lights off and almost knocks Nancy off her horse. So why would someone be delivering a bull late at night? Nancy makes a note to ask people about it the next morning. So she arrives back at the ranch and she hears Mr. Rygett's window shutting and lets herself like not shutting but slamming and like blowing in the wind and she was sure that the window was shut so she goes in and speaks to Mr. Riger and he says no that's impossible you didn't hear anything the window's been shut and then Nancy's like well why is it open and they're like uh-oh and then they open the safe and all the money's gone so uh-oh what's happened someone has broken in in this like 20 minute period where Nancy rode the horse back to the gate with the banker someone has taken the money Nancy asks Mr. Raggett if he saw anybody come in and it turns out it was just Janelle. Nancy asks him who knows about the safe. Turns out everybody knows about the safe but only he knows the combination and that he had written it on a piece of paper and put it in his drawer where the photo was. 
where which is now missing so someone's stolen the photo and has the safe combination this guy really needs to like up his security like you don't just keep a a safe combination in your drawer like you keep that information in your head so somebody can easily go in and get it and right now it could either be mrs rigott or it could be mrs argello the housemaid but again i don't see why mrs argello would have any motive to like motive or reason to do anything <sighs> okay so the next morning nancy receives a phone call and a muffled voice says hey this is a friend i've got information for you meet me in the wine cellar in half an hour so We've got another mysterious, you know, meeting request, but Nancy's smart this time and prepares herself in the cellar waiting for the person who made the phone call to confront her. A short while later, two people enter the cellar and who else is it but Angela and Mrs. Argello. Whoa, why do they want to see Nancy in the cellar? I feel like everything is going to be revealed. So in a huge twist, it turns out that Angela is Katarina. Who, what, when, where, why, how, how, how did this work out? Like, what is happening? This was like the biggest twist in any Nancy Drew book so far in the series. Like, this just blew my mind and I kind of had an inkling, but like, I just, I don't know how they can explain it. And it's actually quite interesting. First of all, Nancy needs Angela to prove that she's Katerina and Angela gives her the birth certificate and Nancy says this proves nothing. And then Angela shows Nancy the the birthmark, the strawberry shaped birthmark on the ankle. And there we go. There's the proof. So now Nancy knows that the kidnapping and ransom notes are a hoax, but who's behind it? I'm going to take a wild guess and say it's Jolene or Mark, maybe both, maybe one of them, who knows, but we'll get to that later. So how did Katarina, aka Angela, end up at the ranch? Well, it's quite an interesting story. It turns out that the plane that Katarina and her mother were on crashed quite close to Katarina's mother's uh, place. Some workers found the wreckage and took Katarina from the wreckage back to Isabel's parents. Uh, once they found out that their daughter had died, they wanted to raise Katarina in Isabel's type of memory. And so they did that. And they told Katarina that her father had died, but that was actually not true at all. So Isabel's parents are a piece of work don't you think why would you lie to a child all these years about like telling her that her father's dead I mean I guess they didn't approve of the the marriage between Isabel and Roger still I think that it's terrible but that doesn't answer how Katarina ended up in America and working at the ranch as a housemaid well Mrs. Agello went back to Isabel's parents' place just to visit and whatnot. And then in confidence, she told Katerina the truth about her father. And Katerina wanted to come back to America with Mrs. Argello, but of course her parents would never approve. They had set her up in an arranged marriage and Katerina didn't want to be part of that. So when Mrs. Argello went back to the ranch, 
Katerina snuck out and followed her and went with her and it was easy enough to get across the border because she has an American birth certificate, of course. But when she arrived back at the ranch, she saw that her father had remarried and was with Jolene and Mark and she didn't want to interfere because he seemed happy. So why are they all of a sudden opening up to Nancy now? Because they saw Mark put powder into Mr. Rygert's food and put two and two together and figured that they were the ones poisoning him and that's why he was so sick. So Nancy's quite happy with that explanation and they straight away get into a plan to catch Jolene and Mark in the in the act, I guess. Jean also appears in the wine cellar and it turns out that Jean and Katerina, aka Angela, are a couple and they're quite fond of each other. So now they're all in on the plan and Nancy tells about the stock truck she had seen was it oh now I've lost track of time I think it was the previous night I think we're at daytime now um and Jean says no we don't transfer stock in the middle of the night that's ridiculous and Nancy puts forward a theory that Mike might Mark might be smuggling animals and they plan to check out the cannon the next day fast forward yes it turns out that Mark was smuggling animals and there were all these wild animals from Asia and Australia in this cannon so that's why they kept seeing crazy animals around and Nancy was not imagining things I should add in uh Ned also all of a sudden appears here. It turns out that Nancy asks Mr. Riger if she can have a friend's day, and he says yes, and now Ned has travelled from Dallas to the ranch to help Nancy solve the mystery. So now is the time to put in action the plan to catch Jolene or Mark or both of them. After dinner one night, Mrs. Aguilar runs in and says, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's Angela, the housemaid, she's dead. And of course, Everybody rushes into the room and they find Angela's lifeless body there. And next to the body is the bottle of poison that has been used to poison Mr. Riget. Um, And Nancy says, oh, I think she's been poisoned. And everyone's like, oh, how, how, how? And then she shows them the bottle. And she also finds a button that matches the button that from the shirt that Mrs. Riget, Jolene, was wearing on the first day. And Jolene's like, oh, that's not my shirt. And Nancy says, well, come on, go get the shirt to prove that it's not missing a button. And of course, Jolene's really, really scared now and goes, Mark, Mark, what have you done? And Mark's like, I haven't done anything. What have you done? And they start screaming at each other. So they're both clearly guilty of something. By the way, I think this was a great elaborate plan of Nancy's. I'm glad that it actually worked, but I think it would be really hard for Angela to play like dead that well. I mean, you'd be able to see her breathing and how come more than one person hasn't rushed over to Angela? I'm sure like everyone would be rushing and trying to do CPR. So it's a little bit flawed, but it worked. So congratulations to Nancy. Another well-executed plan. She starts screaming more at Mark, are you trying to, and then, you know, realizes that she's acting guilty um, and stops mid-sentence. Nancy looks at Mark and Mark just simply says, I don't know what you're talking about. And Nancy's like, hmm, whatever. When the police fingerprint this bottle, they'll find out who the culprit is and who poisoned Angela. And then all of a sudden, Mark broke. 
Jolene, I'm not going to let you frame me. You poisoned the girl just to frame me so you could have all the money to yourself. So, there it is, the confession. Those two were planning on murdering Mr. Riger by poisoning him so they could get all the money from the ranch. Little do they know there's not that much money. Of course, Jolene snaps back and says, no, you're trying to frame me by putting my button underneath the body. You're the one that poisoned her. I don't know anything about poisoned and I would never have agreed to anything such as murder. And then Mark's like, don't act so innocent as if you didn't know that the man's stomach attacks were like just natural. You wanted the old man dead just as much as I did. And Jolene's like, why would I kill him? At least not before I got the ransom money. And now it's Mark's turn to be confused. Okay, these two are up to something, but neither of them know what each other's doing. It's so terrible how money makes people do such terrible things. I mean, I don't think money should be feared, but people get greedy and then turn bad. Oh, it's terrible. Jolene and Mark uh, continue to bicker. Turns out that it was Jolene and Jolene only that set up the rant, the hoax kidnapping rather. Uh, she got some friends to act as Katerina and whatnot. And then as soon as she got the ransom money, she would run off. And Mark was all upset that, you know, Jolene had betrayed him like that. And she insisted that, oh, once I got the money, I would have told you. She then says to Mark that, you know, everything would have been fine except his exotic game ranch, you know, almost spoiled everything with the animals escaping and people getting suspicious and starting to poke their noses into things. And there we have it. Jolene and Mark are the ones responsible for both the hoax and the poisoning and the weird animals running around. It also turns out that they're not actually mother and son. They're just a couple of scam artists. We find this out because Ned's friend in Dallas did some more investigative work and they found some past crimes that these two had committed. And there we have it, the end of the book. Oh, hang on a second. (laughs) Most important thing. Katerina tells Mr. Rygett that she is his daughter and he's the most happiest man alive and they all live happily ever after. The end. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a bit wild and crazy, this whole I've had a daughter alive all these years, but my ex-wife's parents had held her captive. I guess she wasn't really held captive. They brought her up as their own daughter, but still, very sophisticated plot line. I think (laughs) the most sophisticated plot line that we've had, like, well, not sophisticated per se, but probably the most mentally and emotionally abusive case that we've had to read about. Regardless, I absolutely love this book, and for my star rating, I'm going to give it five stars. Uh, I love the descriptive writing. The mystery was pretty good. Yes, I did kind of like have some inklings that Angela might be the daughter, um, just because, you know, Mrs. Argello was really hiding her away and they seemed suspicious about things. I did believe from the start, as soon as Mark called Jolene, Jolene, instead of mum or mother or mama, that it's possible that they aren't actually son and daughter and oh, sorry, son and daughter, <laughs> mother and son. 
And the poisoning was quite obvious as well. I mean, you do have this perception when you go into a mystery novel to check out for these clues. Like you keep an eye out for things that might help you solve the case. And I'm a lot older than I was when I originally read them. So these cases can be easily solved if you just pay a lot of attention. But sometimes I actually have no idea about anything. Like in Two Points to Murder, would have never have put two and two together with that one. On goodreads.com, this book received 3.7 stars and there's not too many reviews and all the reviews pretty much say the same thing. It was predictable. Yes, it was super predictable, but that's what you get. <laughs> like I said, we're older now, we're more aware of things that are happening and we know to keep an eye out because we read a lot of mystery books. So yeah, 3.7 on Goodreads is, I think that's pretty good. They've got a five-star rating as well. Um, so yeah, five stars from me and 3.7 on Goodreads. There was no hookups in this book. There was no romance. There was not even inkling of some sort of romance. I guess, actually, no, that's a lie. Um, Jean and Angela, aka Katerina, you know, are a couple, but that storyline really wasn't, you know explained or paramount or talked about throughout the book. It was explained in one sentence and then that was it. So the tallies stay the same. Nancy, Ned and Bess are all on three hookups with George still on one. And now for near-death experiences. There was three or four in this book. Okay, first of all, we had Nancy getting knocked unconscious when she went to the barn. Again, too many head injuries for this lady. It's not safe. We had the horse bad guy. I think he's, I think the horse's name was bad guy knocking Nancy off and being crazy. Uh, we also had the fact that Nancy was pushed into the bull ring as well. So that's three near death experiences in this book. Not a lot, but still way too many dangerous situations that Nancy finds herself in. I'm Oh, I would love to be Nancy's therapist. Or I wish they kind of like portrayed how Nancy handles these near-death experiences and incidents. She just seems to like stand up, brush herself off, and she's good to go. I would absolutely love if they made an adult Nancy Drew. Not Nancy Drew on campus where she's at university, but Nancy being 30 years old or, you know, 40 years old. She is either married or not married to Ned. She's still best friends with Bess and George. And either works as a private investigator privately or at a police station or something. Maybe like Sue Grafton, who knows, but I would really love to have a an older Nancy Drew, just so, I don't know, there's someone that I could relate to, I guess, maybe? I don't know. I mean, it's fun reading teenage novels, but again, Nancy is my favourite character and I would like some more mature books by her. It's maybe wishful thinking, but it could be good. Sweet Valley High did it with Sweet Valley Confidential, and I think they did a really, really good job of it. It's like some of the one of the twins was married with kids and – one of them had other, I can't actually remember, but there was really mature themes and I really enjoyed those. But I digress. There was three near-death experiences and that brings our total to 29 near-death experiences or 
like life-threatening incidents that Nancy's gotten herself into. And that just about wraps it up. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you thought about the book. Um, you can leave them on the Instagram page, Nancy Drew Podcast is my handle, or you can email me, hello at nancydrewpodcast.com. Thank you to everyone that's messaged me so far. You guys make my day. It's so nice to read them and I reply back to everybody. Um, yeah, it's just, it's so good. Like I wanted to meet other Nancy Drew people, fans and converse with them. And I managed to do that with this podcast and it just warms my heart. So thank you so, 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 so much. Once again, thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time or I will be in your ears next time. <laughs> Bye detective.